1: Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Helen Rosner, a staff writer at The New Yorker who covers all things culture, although most of it is about food. Uh, And behind me, you will probably hear my dogs squabbling, which they have just started to do. Helen, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Danny. I also have a dog behind me, though she's not making any noise yet. I'm so happy to be here.
1: I am so happy that you're here too, not least because I have already um, been able to turn this into an opportunity to force you to translate a book from French into English for me.
0: Using my extremely meager culinary French, but I will do what I can. Anything for you.
1: I want you, you know, I just, I want you to use your influence and I want you to specifically use your influence to make sure that I don't have to learn French.
0: Yeah. I think that's a totally appropriate responsibility to put onto your guest podcast
1: co-host. Thank you. Well, I'm excited about the questions that we have before us today. Um, I don't know if you have any strong feelings about uh, any one of them over the other, but I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a thematically cohesive bunch. Like it, it's very, um, it's it's been a little while since I had just like straight up and down like Lauren Berlant, the female complaint, one right after the other. But as as they say, uh, what is it? The expression is um, the problem of women is that women live for love, and love is the gift that keeps on taking.
0: Wow, that's a new one for me. Um, I guess that is the problem with women.
1: I mean, I, would it sound better if I said it was Jane Austen? We could say it was Jane Austen. It kind of <laughs> does sound like an Austen line. It, but like does. through the Dolly filter. Yeah,
0: no, I, 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 I'm just now thinking. Like, I, I feel like my mind has to kind of grapple with this idea that there is one big problem with me. I, th-
1: I think I don't want to uh, go go out of my way to claim that I know exactly what what. Perlant was driving at because I just know the one line. I did not continue to read the book, which was like an analysis of certain types of like American literature and may very well have been like fairly tongue in cheek. So I just want to let it be known. I'm not saying all women have the same problem. (laughs) Hashtag not all women.
0: Um, No, but we do have a lot of women and what it means to be a partner today, which is a, a partner to a man which is an extra special category of partnership, yeah.
1: And, and questions of, like, interiority, I think, which is always a, a very meaty problem to try to dive into, which which I like very much.
0: Yes. Can a real person be interior to themselves? Like, does interiority require external perception? Like, we've got a lot
1: on the table. I feel like I'm already in an Elena Ferrante novel, and I'm grateful to you for bringing that energy. <laughs> um so i will then begin us uh with our first letter i'll begin us sure i'll begin us by reading our first letter the subject is fighting words i'm in a fight with my friend about whether independence is required in order to be a feminist we were talking about the subject and mary 21 said that she's attending college for her mrs degree meaning that she's here to find a husband Mary's goal is to meet and marry a man who will be making a six-figure salary so that she can be a stay-at-home mom with her two or three hypothetical children. It's not that the rest of us don't respect stay-at-home moms. That's an important job. But Mary's announcement didn't sit well with the rest of us who are planning to use our degrees. Mary is also the only one of us who's not paying for college. Her parents are paying her tuition and living expenses. She says that she's a feminist because she wants all of us to be able to pursue our dreams of independence and wants us to support her dream of being a 50 style housewife. She said she's fine with being financially dependent on her husband. The rest of us agreed that you can be a stay-at-home mom and a feminist, but we're not sure if it's the lack of valuing independence or Mary's privilege due to her circumstances that leave the rest of us cringing inside when Mary proclaims that she is a feminist. We know that feminist has looked differently throughout history, Mary has accused us of gatekeeping what it means to be a feminist, and she might be right. Tony is flummoxed, her word, by the opposition of promoting equality while aiming for inequality. And I'm stuck with being okay with using this slang term of getting an MRS degree. This issue hits us on a lot of our core values and is driving a wedge between us. I just want you to know, by the way, there were some more names in this letter and I condensed it down. And a bunch of them had the running theme of like ending with an I. And at one point, the letter writer addressed me as Danny with an I. And I was <laughs> like, all right, I'm not going to hold that against you, but I am going to hold it against you a little bit. Danny with a Y.
0: Yeah. It's, there's a lot happening here among, I think, a group of, I'm assuming this friend group is mostly
1: women. I think it's all women. I think they're all in college. I think they're all like 20 to 21, which feels right for this kind of issue, right? Like it does both speak to larger issues, but it does also feel very like the five of us need to figure out what feminism is between between now and the end of the week. And like a lot's writing on this and we have to like come to a unanimous vote, which is...
0: Yeah, and it, this is also such a key moment, I think, when you transition from girlhood to womanhood or teenagerdom to what you perceive to be adulthood at the age of 20 or 21, which once you reach the age of 30, you will realize is still just like deep childhood. But I mean, I, re- I remember having versions of this conversation with my friends at around this time. We didn't have one person in our group who was incredibly, you know, dogmatic about her desire to become a stay-at-home mom but even the hypothetical question of you know is this a valid way to spend your time is this a valuable way to participate in the world can you be a feminist let alone a good feminist can you be any sort of feminist while choosing domesticity um not to be um glib but where i've come to in this is just straight up yes like yes you can I think you absolutely can. I think there are a lot of asterisks attached to that. But I think an intentional stay-at-home mom who has always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and who has no desire to enter a, a non-domestic workforce can 100% be a feminist.
1: I um yeah, I, I think it's useful too to try to get away a little bit from like, are we all going to vote on which of the people in this letter are or aren't feminists? In part because like, it's not, a, it's not unlike Judaism where like a big part of like, you know, Historical feminist organizing has been about like bringing up a lot of different like uh, test cases, limit cases, having ongoing arguments about different priorities. So you know, especially because somebody has already brought up the specter of gatekeeping, I maybe want to encourage this letter writer and her friends to go a little bit easier on themselves and say, like, "We are not being called upon to now and forever define what is or isn't feminism forever." Um, or whether or not someone is allowed to uh, call themselves one, but I, I think maybe a more useful question would be not is feminist like not is feminist a title that I have earned um so much as like, well, what do I want to do to support and further feminist causes? right? So like I think maybe that would make it a little bit easier for you and your friends to kind of like look slightly askance but supportively askance at your friend's plan. Which is like, this is not something that we have to like peer review and then say either like, yes, you did pass. You get to be a feminist or no, you're not allowed. So much is just like, that's what you would like to do with your day. And you may or may not end up doing it. Um, that's pretty separate from a question of like, are there feminist organizations that any of you are a part of? Are you like active in in, in any communities that that like further feminist causes like? That I think is maybe a more useful question about like what you can or can't do with and for feminism than just like voting about your friends.
0: I would I would maybe even give them a little more latitude um, and go back to that beautiful 1960s, 1970s concept of consciousness raising, which is, I think, especially at their age, you know, being an activist and being active being part of organizations, giving your time, giving your money, giving your expertise is key in a way that cannot possibly be overstated. But there is value, especially when you're learning where the edges of yourself lie and learning where the beginning of your community starts. Um, There's value in just thinking about this sort of stuff and chewing it over when you're 20 or 21 years old and you're trying to figure out what you want to do with the great expanse of the rest of your life and whether you can be the person that you would be proud to be within that. Like literally just having these conversations, I think for me, at least counts. I think that everybody who's thinking about this, this group of friends is maybe, as you say, not going about it in the most generous and action and result-oriented way. Like, this isn't feminist survivor. We don't have to vote the least feminist member of the friend group off the island. But um, I like what you said about how it doesn't, you know, what you what you do all day, like what your job is, is it's unlikely that that's ever going to be something inherently feminist, even if it's something that might appear on the surface to be. I mean, I guess if you're on the front lines of working for reproductive justice or something like that, you're probably having an inherently feminist career, but you could be a giant misogynist asshole while you have that job. Like who a person is, has very little to do with how they spend their time, um, at least in a professional sense. Yeah.
1: And so I think that kind of like, to me, what I'm, I'm so curious about is like, she wants us to support her dream of being a 50s style housewife. What does that look like? Like, what is she actually asking of you? Because it doesn't sound like any of you are getting in the way of her dream. It's not like when she meets guys at parties, you're not running up to them and saying like, hey, leave her alone. We're trying to convince her to want something more feminist. So like in as much as all you have done is, it sounds like at most say, I don't love that same joke you're making about the MRS degree. I don't think you're actually interfering with her dream. I think what she's probably asking for something more like, I want you to feel the same way about my dream that I do, which is a tall order. And you don't have to do that. And I realize, especially at that age, in this kind of group, it can be really difficult to say to a friend, I don't think your dream is something that great. I'm not going to stand in your way, but I don't admire it. um, Feels like, oh, I would rather like jump off a cliff than say that. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to Do anything so much as I think maybe just like refocus, which is just like, I'm not getting in the way of this dream of yours. I decline to be like the survivor judge who votes whether or not your plan is feminist. I'd like it if you cut out the MRS jokes, if only because like that's pretty old. Like I remember when I was at college and you know, I went to a terrible evangelical Christian college in Southern California. So there were a lot of jokes about MRS degrees. So like the joke was tired, you know, 12 years ago. It was tired in the 50s. Um, you can absolutely just say like, I'd love it if you stopped making that joke. She may or may not stop doing it. But I, I think you can really decline to to do some of the like work that she is asking you to do, which is just like, you're asking me to like offer a referendum on your plan. I, I don't want to do that. And I think it's weird that you're asking me to do that. Um, I think especially because this is also tied up in money stuff, like that's additionally fraught. And, and given, again, like, She's not an evil person because her parents are paying for college, but it is difficult and uncomfortable that within this group where everyone else is having to pay their own way that she is not only loudly and repeatedly saying, I'm just going to find a rich husband and that's my deal, uh, and then kind of like bothering the rest of you to like, hey, put a feminist stamp of approval on this. Tell me I'm good. Like, that's kind of, that's a little dark, I think. That's a little wicked.
0: I feel like I have a, a much more sympathetic take on Mary here mm-hmm. than you do, which is now making me question my own feminist bona fides. Um I, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. I actually think the MRS stroke is tired and stupid, but like, it's the kind of thing that I think in certain contexts could be reclaimed. Um, I do agree that the class aspects of this make it a little bit less low stakes than maybe I want it Mm. to be. Um, Especially when we don't really get any sense, I think, of like Mary, and this might just be because of how, how you've written the letter, but like, I don't have a sense of what Mary is doing to consider being a stay-at-home parent a form of career, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I believe like, you know, within the scope of my sense of feminism, that, the work of raising children is important and radical and wildly undervalued and that in some relationships where the finances and the, you know, availability of time and space makes sense, where one partner spends the majority of their time taking care of the children and the household and one partner spends their time outside of the home making money for the household, that those are shared roles and that, you know, the income is for both of them. This is like a two person, there's like the operations manager and the CEO, right? Like that this is a, a co constructed two person family unit. And I think that that's tremendously valuable. I think it's, you know, Angela Garbus has this extraordinary new book that I suddenly have forgotten the name of something about labor, essential labor, <laughs> essential labor, which is about the like extraordinary importance and radical undervaluation of. Childcare and child rearing as, as an individual thing, as a community thing, as a class issue, as a social issue, as a labor issue. It's it's a phenomenal book. And it reinforced a lot of things I'd already been thinking about parenthood and taught me a lot of new ways to think about it. And when I read something like this, I feel very sympathetic to the idea of wanting to be the person who is the operations manager for the family. I mean, I feel gross putting this into capitalistic frameworks, but like, you know, that's the way that I think some people can understand it. And especially if maybe you are in your early 20s, and you are thinking about feminism in terms of success, and you're thinking about success within certain frameworks of profession and impact. You know, the the phrase that really, really stuck with me in this letter was that the rest of us are planning to use our degrees, which is this implication that Mary is wasting her time being at college. And I think that on one hand, there are certainly degrees you can get that would be helpful if you decide that you want to be a professional parent, right? Like you could focus on psychology or early childhood education or art or, you know, biology. There's all sorts of things that can, like, you know, if you were going to hire a nanny, if you saw that they majored in XYZ at college, you would be like, that's a bonus. But on the other hand, I think it's also just inherently valuable to value education and to value the experience of being in college. Like I majored in philosophy and I'm not a philosopher. Does that mean I didn't use my degree? Um, I think that, participating in domestic life is not valueless. If anything, it is the most valuable thing. And all of us have been socialized to think that it's bullshit and empty because it's done primarily by women and they're not remunerated under the same you know, paycheck and health insurance system that everyone else is remunerated within. All of that is then, you know, you know that entire rant Then we have to like bracket around the fact that Mary is the one who comes from the most money and that her plan is to marry rich when, you know, lots of full-time stay-at-home parents are not living, you know, wealthy, comfortable, affluent lives. And it's a very different structure. But I don't know. I I feel like this is a very, I don't want to say the dreaded phrase second wave, but like, why is the only valid way to be a post-collegiate person in the world to have a job that gets a paycheck and comes with health insurance?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a number of different factors at play here and I think for me at least the reason that the 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 Mary having more money kind of jumped out at me was it seemed like this had gone kind of well beyond Mary saying like I would like to be the one who raises the kids full time and turned more into here's what my plan is I want to marry rich I want to get an MRS degree which I think I think even if it's only in jest, makes, it's a little different from saying, I like college and someday I want to raise my kids full time. It's a little bit more like, I'm just here to meet a banker. Um, this is a, a waste of time otherwise, um, which I can understand why that would put other people's backs up. Um, totally. And then it, it seems like it's really going beyond like, a, you know, other people might say, okay, that's your plan. Um, and is like doing kind of follow up stuff of like, hey, why don't you love my plan? Why don't you say that my plan is good? Give me more. And that part to me was what kind of like rankled- I think
0: she's allowed to ask for that. I mean, you know, like the other the other line that really stood out to me here was, was the line that the letter writer says that their friend Tony says that Tony is flummoxed by these opposing ideas of promoting equality as a feminist while aiming for inequality as a stay-at-home mom.
1: Do you think that that was connected to the line about it's one. It's not just even like I plan on at some point when we have kids staying at home. It's I want to be financially dependent on my husband, which I do think is a separate question. Um, I I was wondering if that was what Tony had been bringing up because that also, again, like you can certainly go for that if you want to, but like there's a sort of like a pretty well-documented risk that you run when you say I want to be financially dependent on my husband.
0: A hundred percent. All we have to go with here are the two paragraphs of this letter in terms of world building. I Mm -hmm. can't imagine, I think the odds are extremely low that Mary is like, you know, on the first day of college, hi, my name is Mary. I have no interest in a career and I look forward to being financially dependent on a man, right? This feels like the kind of thing that might have come up in the course of like one of those heated 2 a.m. like sophomore year of college conversations where, you know, Tony or the letter writer looks at Mary and it's just like, are you really telling me that you'd be okay being financially dependent on a man And Mary is in deep and you know has her hackles up and is like, yeah, if it comes down to it, I guess. And like, I don't know. I'm giving Mary too much of the benefit of the doubt here. But like, I think that we're getting the letter writer's perspective on Mary's choices. And I'm twice the age of these people, right? Like I have friends who have huge careers while being mothers. I have friends who have, small careers that make them happy and are not hugely lucrative while being mothers. I have friends who are like working paycheck to paycheck by being mothers. And I have friends who are staying home and being mothers full time. And I think that all of them are working with what they've got. And some of them are doing what they wanted. And some of them are not doing what they wanted to do. And I don't think anybody wants to be financially dependent on someone else. But I do think that thinking of being the primary caregiving parent as financially dependent on their spouse is a very retrograde way of thinking about it. It is certainly the case that that's how it plays out in a lot of these relationships, especially if the husband has a kind of unfortunate perspective on the nature of partnership. But what I was saying before about how this is a a two-person relationship, this is a dyad, right? Like one person runs the household while one person takes care of the world outside of the household. That's not financial dependence. It doesn't have to be financial dependence. What it ought to be is
1: financial collaboration. And of course like being the stay-at-home parent doesn't mean you're literally staying at home all the time too. So I think it's also useful to remember like that still involves a lot of going out into the world and being a part of it.
0: For sure, for sure. Um and I think that, you know, there is the nightmare of being a stay-at-home parent that involves financial dependence like, you know, the the forms of financial abuse and financial coercion that can happen when someone has their name on the paycheck and someone else doesn't. I mean, it's infinite, but I think the answer to that is not to say Nobody is allowed to be the full-time parent because, and here's the other thing that that raises, it's great that the letter writer and all of their friends plan on having full robust careers, but if they want to have children, what are they going to do? They're going to outsource the care of their children, which again is completely cool. Like nannies are wonderful. Daycares are wonderful. Like child rearing collectives are wonderful. But like somebody at some point in in this frame has to raise the kids. And either you're paying your money to do it or you are doing it under your own steam and you and your partner are agreeing that their income is your shared income. But at some point, somebody's got to raise the fucking kids, right? And saying that the person who raises the kids can't be a feminist, to me, is a profoundly unfeminist thing.
1: Yeah, no, I'm right there with you on that. And I think that was part of what the letter writer was trying to speak to, which is like, my discomfort does not come so much from her decision to someday stay home with her kids. It's that she seems to have it all mapped out where she's just gonna go into like a hibernation zone until she meets <laughs> that husband. Which again, like maybe yes. she will maybe like I think what's kind of sweet about a lot of this is like she didn't even have a fucking boyfriend. Yeah. Like, this is all Man, I wanted to you, be like the,
0: the ambassador of the UN when I was 21. Like yeah. sure. Yeah. Sure.
1: Yeah, you know, Mary might meet and marry a man who makes a six-figure salary. She might meet and marry nobody. She might meet and marry a guy who Gets fired, she might meet and marry a guy who like shares husband and moonstruck gets hit by a bus within two years of their wedding, and then she has to go out with Johnny Camerari, uh, who doesn't even pick out a, <laughs> a ring when he wants to propose. So like, I, I think not that I want to diminish any of the like importance that all of you are like holding in this moment, but it is also sometimes helpful to like take a slightly longer view, which is like maybe all of these things will come to pass in exactly the way that Mary has proclaimed. And maybe other things will happen in her life. I think it is likelier that in the year like 2022, she's going to have a slightly difficult time finding a guy who is like, yes, we will get married the second after we graduate and you will never have to work a day in your life. And here is a golden Fabergé egg as a token of my promise to you. I think it is likelier that like other things will come down the line. And yeah, she might, you know. And, And at least
0: like, at least she
1: doesn't want to
0: go be a, you know, satellite engineer for Raytheon.
1: Like, and she's not saying, like, the rest of you have to promise to be stay-at-home parents with me, too. um. So, yeah. there's that.
0: I don't know. I, I think that she is probably harmlessly delusional, and it is frustrating. But I also think that it is likely that the letter writer and her friends are also slightly harmlessly delusional, and it is frustrating, um, yeah. And that's the beauty of being a person on earth. I mean, I don't and, know what to say. And it 21, like, <laughs> I think. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really useful place to leave it, which is to say like, you don't have to keep going 20 rounds on this. You can just say like, Mary, you want what you want. I hope you get it and that it works out. Um, I don't want to fight about it anymore. And I, th- I think that's probably the line to draw rather than like, again going back and forth and everyone pulling out their notebooks and writing down who gets the most or the fewest feminism points. Yeah. Um it's also just fine like people call themselves a feminist and then don't do perfectly feminist things from morning till night. That's not unusual. Um that's people, that's feminism like I don't think she's done anything here that's so bad that's like no you really need to hammer point the home that she's not allowed to use that word anymore. Also not least because if you tell people like they're not allowed to call themselves something at best. They usually say something like, well, then I don't want to hang out anymore. Uh, and, I, you know, again, like I can see a certain perspective where if she's really coming at this and just totally unaware of the fact that everybody else already has like a full time job. And she's just like, let me tell you again about my fantasy where I lounge on a divan all day. I can understand why that might be frustrating. Also, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm pronouncing divan correctly.
0: I don't know. I think I've always said divan I like the way Divan. Divan sounds sort of British, like in the way that British people say Picasso and pasta. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I like that sort of nasal as longer A. I think it's a All right. So
1: then we're gonna stay with Divan for now.
0: Mm. Um, Eating bonbons, obviously. Yeah, not I, I not can, not your dog, but yeah. The, I can the see
1: why stuff. that would feel frustrating. And, you know, again, I think in that case you can just say like, I wish you the best in your proposed course of action, my friend. But I would love to talk about something else. That is allowed. That is fine. That does not mean that you're saying she's a bad person and a bad feminist. And I think if anything here is like the really crucial thing, it's like, how do you navigate moderate levels of conflict with your friends in college, where oftentimes people are doing that sort of for the first time, where no adults are mediating it for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all like, you know, it's not uncommon, especially in some college circles where it's like, we never fight. We agree on everything until one day we explode and we're all in a fight with each other. And again, that's just like part of growing up. Not everybody goes through it, but some people do, but it, it can be useful to practice like medium levels of, of, of disagreement before yeah. you get to that level of like, I hate you.
0: I also imagine that 10 or 15 years from now when you know, if everybody gets their dream, right? Like if Mary is a stay-at-home mom with four kids and the letter writer and Tony are working, you know, wonderful, fulfilling jobs that are changing the world and are, you know, paying somebody to help look after their children, they're probably all gonna have a lot more sympathy for each other. You know, Mary might be ready to tear her hair out, and Tony might be thinking, Man, I wish I could just like stay home
1: and be responsible for carpool. And you might not even like remember any of their last names in 10 years. Like sometimes the people that you are really close with your first and second year of college, you are not necessarily close with in your 30s. So none of that is to say, like, who cares what she thinks? She'll be dead to you in six years. (laughs) So much as just like, I I want to free you from the burden of either thinking like, I'm going to be friends with this woman for the rest of my life, so we've got to solve it now. Or even just like, it's so important that we're all on the exact same page that we can all like end this. Like if, you know, if the worst thing that happens is like, Tony is flummoxed and you say to Mary, hey, you know, can you, can you bear in mind the fact that all of us are already working a bunch of jobs um, when you bring up your excitement about not working again in the future? If if that's the worst that happens, that's okay. Like, this is a reasonable level of disagreement. None of you have been, like, undercutting her attempts to find a fella, which, again, I just really want to stress, doesn't even exist. Like, this is a lot of <laughs> ink spilled over a man who's not here. There is, at present, no man who has offered to marry. I would love for you to never have to work a day in your life. Yeah. And perhaps there never will be.
0: Raising children, famously not a form of work.
1: I just, you know... And no, you
0: know I agree. There's the whole space between meeting the man and raising the kids. And I, I, I would tear my hair up if I had nothing to do all day. But I just feel like there are so many worse freaking things to want to be when you grow up. Like there are certain jobs and sectors where I think like, you know, no, you don't get to call yourself a feminist if you're working in like minerals extraction or weaponry. But wanting to do the fundamentally most feminine thing historically in the entire history of humanity and like make that the focus of your life. I feel like as long as you call yourself a feminist and you back that up with reading and
1: knowledge and action, totally fine by me. And then I think my last thought is it's okay if sometimes a wedge comes between you and your friends at college. You are allowed to sometimes feel like as I've gotten to know this person better over the last six months, I no longer feel as close to them as I did. Um, That doesn't mean you should ghost people or be cold, Um, but certainly part of college is, again, trying on a lot of different identities, sometimes making slightly comical and outlandish statements about your future plans because it's kind of fun to get a rise out of people. Um, And so you might just find like, all right, Mary's cool, but like we're maybe not going to be besties because I like a different type of person who has a different kind of ambition, and that's someone I want to spend more time with, and that is not the same thing as gatekeeping feminism. Like again, this is not. You guys don't need to be like making referendums on your future life choices as like good or bad, feminist or not. Um, just hang out,
0: hang out, just hang out,
1: just hang out, out
0: man. Pro hanging hang out, out.
1: pro woman. That's that's where this show comes down. I think um we can move out of the realm of the sort of like abstract and slightly more into something like tangible and and personal because our next question is very much about like I think different views of like feminist um ways of looking at uh heterosexualities but that has like a very specific actual husband there's a real husband in this one um so so that that makes it a little more concrete and i'm Very interested in hearing your thoughts on this one. Would you mind reading it for us?
0: Sure. The subject of this one is retro rose-colored glasses. My husband and I met over 40 years ago when I was a cashier at his dad's store. My husband immediately took a shine to me, and although I wasn't interested at first, he was a handsome college graduate who only had eyes for me, and I was eventually won over. He would bring me gifts, change the schedule so that we were working together, compliment me, both alone and to customers, and was visibly hurt whenever I tried to give him the brush off, but kept coming back, all of which I took as romantic. We've told this story for years, and it's always had a positive reception. I recently was talking to one of the current cashiers, a young lady in high school, and I told her our story, and she was horrified. She seemed to think that I was a victim, and that he used his power as my superior to coerce me. She said that if our son did that to her now, she would contact the labor board for harassment since we don't have HR, and I realized that she is the same age I was when I started working there. I love my husband and don't suddenly consider him a monster, but seeing that young woman made me realize how young I had been and how if anyone did keep pursuing her at work after she'd made it clear she wasn't interested, I would be very upset and I'd do everything I could to keep them away from her. It's not like I'm going to leave my husband, but I'm having trouble figuring out how I feel after seeing things from this new perspective. I want to talk to him about it, but I can't imagine how to bring it up without making it seem like I'm retroactively accusing him of something. I did fall for him, but his behavior could have been seen very differently if I hadn't come around after a few months. Can you help me reconcile my kind, loving husband with this upsetting behavior?
1: Where do you want to start with this one?
0: <sighs> I underlined the phrase, all of which I took as romantic in the the beginning of this letter after she describes this litany of things that her husband did that maybe through contemporary glasses seems horrifying. Um, And to me, I feel like that's the key that unlocks all of this. It's messy, but it's not messy. This This is, it's a difficult question, but I think... She loves her husband, she loves their marriage, and she found his behavior to be romantic, which is not a green light for every man to pursue a woman using these methods. But I don't think she needs to feel like she has to reconsider the foundations of the great love of her life. Maybe that's oversimplifying.
1: I feel like I'm a bad feminist on this episode. As long as we all feel bad about ourselves, I think that's the goal. <laughs> um, no, I was just thinking about it in terms of the first letter and this kind of question of like, I, I think there's an important distinction to be drawn between using our judgment and discernment, using like feminist frameworks for thinking about lives can be useful. But at the same time, I, I don't want people to feel like that it is incumbent upon them to give a referendum on everybody else's life. Like. I think I share your sense here of like if this letter writer really does feel peaceful and happy about how the two of them got together and is just worried that like because now she's shared this with a younger person and feels like, oh, but if this were happening right now. I would have a different reaction that that means she has to go back and, and develop a referendum and, or that if she did develop a referendum that she would then have to say, if our marriage began under circumstances that I now see differently, that it therefore also follows that our marriage is a bad one and he is a bad person and I must leave him. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that any of that is required here. Um, That said, I also don't want to, just say to this letter writer, Yes, I, I can answer your question. I will help you reconcile your husband just because I'll, I'll let you do that letter writer. Like, you love your husband. I don't give a shit about that man. I don't know him. Um,
0: <laughs> this is good. The advice columnist's prerogative
1: is like, I don't care about anybody involved here except you, man.
0: You yeah. can love him if you want. You can hate him if you want. I do don't care. I mean if if if
1: if I'm honest and maybe this is again from the sort of like money question of the first letter, my sort of interest was maybe the most piqued by just the details of like it's a family store, it sounds like I still work here after 40 years, but we don't have like HR and all our cashiers are like high school kids and I was just like I hope your employees unionize. I hope the girl <laughs> who is your family cashier talks to her other colleagues and then they start a union.
0: I mean I mean good for the current cashier to like say listen you don't have HR so if this happened to me I would contact the labor board. Like I mean yeah. This young She's lady She's probably already working knows, on a
1: union right now.
0: Right, good for her. I mean that's terrific. I don't want to say it was a different time because that's not a good excuse. But in certain key ways I think that the behavior that is not just accepted but encouraged by men towards women was dramatically different 40 years ago than it is now. And I think there is sufficient saturating media available to young men right now informing them that this behavior is super creepy and fucking weird and not a way to pursue people who you're interested in and not respectful of their nose and not respectful of their boundaries and not respectful of like the actual level of their interest. That if someone were to pursue in this like aggressive rom-com, I don't take no for an answer style right now, I would read that person very differently than I might read a person who was doing this in the 70s or 80s, 40 years ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think my first piece of advice would be to the letter writer, I don't know what your current job is uh, at your husband's family store, but my guess is you rank higher than the cashier. So I would say, whether you're somebody's direct supervisor or simply more like high ranked within the organization, quit telling the story of how you and your husband met to people who work for you. Partly because it's like, I it's, to, to me, that was just a little bit like, that's a weird spot to put a high school cashier in to say like, here's how my husband and I got together. He followed me around. Like, why are you talking like that to your employees? Um, I think is my bigger question. And so like, I think that's a weird level. I've I've had bosses before who would get like really personal and like ask me to provide feedback on their personal lives. And I found it really uncomfortable. And so I just wonder like, was she trying to like work? And you were just like, hey, have I ever told you the story of how I married your boss? Because just like, that feels weird to me. And I I wonder if maybe part of what she was kind of like dealing with in that moment was like, I've now heard a story at work that distresses me and makes things more uncomfortable for me at work. And now she has to deal with that.
0: Well, and I think that part of what the the letter writer is dealing with here in terms of tension, I mean, she framed it in the letter is how do we help her reconcile her sense of her husband with this new understanding of that type of behavior is upsetting. I think that there's a, an even deeper tension that she's currently facing, which is that this has been a story that she and her husband have loved and that they've told often over the mm-hmm. years and that they kind of, I would imagine consider, you know, foundational to their mythology as a couple, both literally, but also that the telling of it is a way where they, you know, show off a facet of themselves and a part of their history that they take pride in and that they mm. take a lot of pleasure in and that kind of reinforces the nature of their current love. And all of a sudden, she's not getting pushback on the actual fact of this history. She's also getting pushback on the fact that she's told the story over and over and over again. And said, you know, isn't it so cute? Isn't it so sweet? Isn't it so romantic that this is how he won me over? And holy crap, have I been telling all these people this? And they've just been thinking, look at this like pushover, look at this victim, look at this poor woman who had no agency. And she doesn't think of herself that way. She thought of this as a romantic story and suddenly that has all been upended. And I think that I want to say that if it is romantic to you, it is a romantic story. I think that the, the takeaway for me here is not that The way that you met is garbage and that you guys need to like reestablish an origin story. Maybe just like don't tell this story as often now that you maybe understand that people from different contexts and generations might view it with a little bit more wide-eyed horror than dewy eyed romantic yearning.
1: Right, or if you had previously really played up the no, 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 because that like communicated to other people romantic devotion, you don't have to emphasize that part of the story in the same way. Uh, where you're like, and let me tell you the number of times I said no and he kept coming back. Um, You can condense and truncate.
0: It it makes me think of the, I don't know if you spend as much time um, procrastinating by reading like horrible things about incels on the internet the way I do, but um, I'm like very committed to melting my brain in terrible toxic ways. But there's this like really gross sort of very misogynist meme format, this cartoon of like, a handsome guy kind of flirting with a woman at a cubicle and she responds with a heart. And then in the second panel, it's a sort of grotesquely caricatured, unattractive man flirting with the same woman in the cubicle. And she's like dialing 911 on her phone. And it's, you know, the unacceptable double standard of like the Chad versus the gross, Jimmy? terrible misogynist man. Yeah. Um, there is an actual truth underneath this meme, which is not inherent to physical attractiveness. But I think that, you know, when you start learning about consent, if you take courses or read books or, you know, sit in a powwow about affirmative consent and about the, you know, how do you introduce the prospect of a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship with somebody in an era where you want to really be mindful of their ability to say no and to not screw up any future friendship or anything that you have with them going forward there is this fundamental notion that advances are welcome until they aren't, right? And in order to get anywhere with someone, you have to at some point say, would you like to have dinner? Or I find you very beautiful or whatever it might be. There has to be some form of overture. And as long as there's room for the person to say no, then you move on from this. So so the place where this becomes tough for me is that, you know, She wasn't interested at first and he kept pushing. So we don't have her saying no, 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 no in the version of this story that she's told us. She eventually was won over. She was interested. She did find him attractive. Like, I think that if it had been someone who she did not see a potential romantic future with, I would hope, I would like to believe, and I would like her to believe about herself that she would have said, I don't like this. I need you to stop. And I know we can't assume that everybody is going to have the strength and the willpower and the sense of self instilled in them, you know,
1: by society to be able to do that. But Or the backup, right? Like if somebody's dad is the boss. Exactly. It's not always exactly. a case of just like personal strength. Sometimes it's also like external factors as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no.
0: I know that's absolutely a huge part of it. And I don't want to be like, you know, sort of Pollyanna-ish and all's well that ends well about this, but like you liked him. You liked him enough that you viewed these as compliments. You didn't view them as infractions or infringements. You viewed them as compliments. You eventually went on a date with him. You guys got married. You fell in love. And now you guys run the same store where you met. And that is a beautiful story. And it's your story. And it doesn't minimize the truth of your love. It's unfortunate that you had to learn in such a harsh way that this story lands differently to people who have grown up in different eras and who have had different experiences with people maybe pushing their boundaries in ways that are much more invasive and much less welcome. But this doesn't change you, it doesn't change your husband, and it doesn't change your love for each other.
1: I think those are all really helpful and useful uh, ways of looking at this. I want to just leave open the possibility because I, I agree it seems to me like the letter writer is much more on the side of I like my life, I like my partner, um, than otherwise. But, you know, you do say letter writer, you call it upsetting behavior. And maybe you're just reflecting what you heard from the cashier. But you, you know, that's a phrase that certainly carries a, a different kind of meaning. And you say, um, seeing that young woman made me realize how young I had been. And if I saw someone else doing this to her, I'd be very upset. So I also just want to leave room for that, letter writer, which is if part of what you are wondering is, if I start thinking about this, I'm afraid that I might reassess some elements of my kind and loving husband. And that frightens me because he's been my husband for 40 years and I love him. And so I would just encourage you, if that is on your mind at all, to remind yourself that you are under no obligation to do or pursue anything that you don't want to and that you don't feel ready for. but. If you do want to eventually maybe talk to one or two trusted friends about some of this to gather some more of your own thoughts and to ask your husband, can I talk to you about this? I'm worried that this will make you feel defensive. So I want to preempt that by just saying, I'm not asking you this in accusatory fashion. I just want to like reevaluate some of it. I want you to feel like you have freedom to do that. I hope that your husband would be able to have that conversation with you and that he would be able to say, you know, you know, to hear you out. I'd rather, I'm like predicting already what he would say. I would like for him to say that like, he was willing to hear you out and to care about a changing or reassessment of previous feelings. So again, not to say like, this must mean you, you retroactively hate it now, but if you do look back and you think, well, you know, Some of what I would have called persistent and eventually endearing, I still think of as persistent and endearing, and some of it I think was not okay. That's, you know, that's one possibility. You may find that you look back and you think, I actually really don't feel okay about this, and this feels big, at which point, you know, you would need to be able to talk about it for your own well-being. So I I don't want to say start thinking about this differently, and that's a guarantee that you're going to change your mind on the entire last 40 years of your life. Just that I I want you to not feel like you have to preempt your own curiosity and the fact that you might change your mind based on seeing somebody else um, who who was your age at the time. That is allowed. People sometimes reassess things in light of seeing somebody else who was their age at the time. And and I think, Helen, you're right. There's so many uh open-ended elements to this letter that I don't think it's, you know. I I can very well imagine a a scenario where the two of them got together and it was mostly pretty sweet and charming. And that perhaps the reason that you didn't find any of that off-putting was because you kind of liked him. And it is just, it is okay to kind of like somebody. You know, It is that's not bad. And I don't want you to feel like you have to um, renounce (laughs) having liked him. Um, I just want you to feel a lot of freedom to reflect on those early days of your relationship and say, how do I feel about it on reflection? You know, I think also if the letter writer wants something concrete to do
0: right now, which I think might help resolve some of this sort of emotional asymmetry that that she's trying to figure out right now, I think that putting into action that realization that you had, that if you found out that your cashier was being pursued by someone whose pursuit she did not welcome, that you would put a stop to it. Like, commit to that. Commit to that. Pay attention to who is chatting to your young... You know, female employees, check in with them periodically and say, Hey, how are you feeling? Is anything making you uncomfortable? Is there anything we could do to make you feel better? And if something comes up, be the kind of person who supports them and who is there for them and who helps make sure that if they say, I'm uncomfortable, your job as their employer and as someone who has lived through this, albeit with a happy ending, is to step in and say, I am going to be the buffer between you and your discomfort. I will make sure this doesn't happen again. Be the person who maybe wasn't there for you when you were young. If someone had said to you, hey, is this guy really bothering you? Do you want us to do something about this? Maybe you would have said no. Maybe you'd have been like, no, actually, I kind of like it. It's sort of sweet and charming. And maybe you would have, upon reflection, said, you know, it's kind of getting on my nerves. But nobody asked you that. Nobody was offering to be there in your corner. And what you can do right now and for the rest of your life is be that person for everyone else.
1: Yeah, and, and just, you know, beyond that letter writer, I, I just really want you to feel like you are allowed to reflect upon and think about your own experiences without preemptively stopping yourself by saying, What if my husband feels accused? You sound like a pretty thoughtful, conscientious person. You don't sound like on a whim you have decided to denounce this man. So I I am not worried about you. Uh, behaving like unreasonably or unwell. And I, what I do see is just somebody who's like really afraid to even just like think about her own history for fear that it will upset her husband. And I don't want to read too much into that and assume that that means he's a jerk. But, you know, as long as you are speaking kindly and lovingly, you are not you don't need to go beyond that. So whether or not he may or may not feel accused at some point in the future, I don't think is is on your head. I think right now like the only things in front of you are to think about your own feelings and memories, um to seek out trusted counsel from someone whose judgment you admire and to really just think about yourself before you worry about how your husband may or may not react to it. Again, I get Helen. I thought that that point about this as part of their like self mythologizing as a couple was really insightful and spot on. I can understand why it might feel painful to reassess that. But gosh, if you've been together happily for 40 years, you'll absolutely be able to find other ways to think about your sort of foundational sense of yourselves as a couple. You will be able to replace that story with other different, better stories. And if, on the other hand, this does reflect on some things that he did wrong or that he should not have done when the two of you were getting together, that you would like to now much later work through together. I hope that is also possible. And I hope that, um, you know, there's no time limit on saying you hurt me, or I didn't realize this at the time, but this hurt me. Um and you can do that sometimes in a way that still like recuperates the relationship. Other times it doesn't. I can't make you a promise or a guarantee one way or the other that you will be able to or that I think you should reconcile your kind, loving husband with this upsetting behavior. But I will say that if he is fundamentally kind and loving and wants to know you in your heart and to take care of you and to be a partner to you, if you were to share these thoughts with him, my hope would be that he could work past his initial maybe Defensive reaction and thank you for telling him. Listen to you, hear you out, take you seriously, ask what you might need from him, offer to you know i don 't know talk about it some like again, like what would you potentially ask like you say i don 't want to leave him and so it 's not even like you 'd be saying like, "Oh, I want you to do penance for twenty years or I want you to go to every cocktail party we 've ever been to and say, "Hey, just kidding, I was a jerk when we got together like, you 're not asking any of those things of him, you just want him to know a new question that you have and and a new sense of what, what could we have done differently that I don't know I think it's often really hard to ask people to engage with the past because so often when people hear that they take that as oh you're, you're asking me to denounce myself and and I think it would be better for many people relationships couples etc if somebody could hear something like this and say thank you for telling me what should we do next that's possible I think um and i hope that your cashiers unionize how much time a day would you say you spend um checking out the incels oh i shouldn't have brought that up
0: i it depends <laughs> on how close i am to a deadline i don't know you know there were there's like there was this subreddit that was like incel tears i don't i shouldn't even speak this out into
1: the world. It's just... We can always I, edit that out, by the way. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. I, I mean, I'm okay with that. Um, I think that I'm I'm fascinated by misogyny, which makes it sound fancier than it is. It's kind of like pushing on a bruise to see what the horrible insults are up to and and the way that they kind of calcify these extraordinarily diseased ways of thinking into the language of memes and mimetic culture is really... I mean, I love memes. I think you know that. It's kind of pathetic, I guess, at my my big age. But like, I don't know. I grew up on the internet. I love the internet. I love the dirty, gross, weird parts of the internet. And like, it's never not going to be fascinating to me to watch the ways that the worst parts of the internet and the the internet as its worst version of itself, right? Like to bring people together in order to mutually reinforce into just absolutely metastasizing nightmare humans, um, convince themselves that they're brilliant and funny and original. So, I don't know. It's not terribly healthy.
1: No, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, for many, many people, there's, as you say, there's the morbid curiosity and thinking about like, what are the people who hate me the most up to today? Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, the internet gives us a lot of windows into those worlds uh, that might have been more difficult to access uh, in other times. And um, it, it is a sort of remarkable repository of like the worst of like, I don't know, your, your friend's mom's eating disorder, plus guys inventing Facebook and ranking how hot all the girls in school are. Uh, like just the, the worst combination of like different angles of like hostility towards the body. Um, all kind of rolled into one, and the sort of like incisive maternal eye of you know
0: well, I think there there's also sort of and you know not to circle it back to these two letters and the through line between them, but I think that one of the like fundamental conflicts between the internet being productive and the internet being destructive is also one of the conflicts that is essential to both of these letters, which is the difference between the universal and the individual and you know, we can say that, like, broadly speaking, wanting to be stay-at-home moms is not the most feminist choice. But then on an individual level or on a circumstantial level or when you analyze it differently, you know, what is any choice against any other? And on a broad level, like, pursuing a woman who's not interested in you is creepy and predatory. But on an individual level, maybe it works out in this specific case because she seemed to welcome it. And, like, broadly speaking, women don't like gross men. But on an individual level, does that really mean you have to form 17 subreddits and, like, an entire faction of 4chan dedicated to wanting to murder all women? No, probably
1: not. I, I think there's, uh, yeah, I think probably not is is probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and yet again, just, like, the difference between, you know, Does it make sense to think of feminism or any other type of like framework as like I rank my daily or weekly or yearly choices against a hundred point scale. And if I get over a 70, I get to be one for another year. And if I get under 70, I I have to turn in my membership card. It's like Um, staying a Sephora VIP member, which like
0: every year around March, I hit that. And I'm like, oh, this is way too early in the year. This is pathetic.
1: I'm buying too much face cream. Right. Right. And and it's so much less about like making sure that you have, you know, hit the points requirement for membership um, and more to do with, you know, well, who are you, you know, in community with? What are you up to? Um,
0: how do you feel? Like literally, yeah. just how do you, are you happy? Do you yeah. like your life? Like, yeah. does Mary like her life as a stay-at-home mom? Then that's great. Does the letter writer who worked in the guy's store like her life? That's great. And if you don't like your life, which you are super, I mean, like, that I would it's imagine It's very most like, if people, you like
1: the health insurance you have, we'll let you keep it.
0: <laughs> like, nobody is saying, leave your husband. But like. I'll, I'll say it but, a little.
1: Well, but you, I, don't to, right, you don't have to. Right. Universally, leave
0: your husband. But on an individual level, it's up to you. This is choice feminism. But
1: like, <laughs> which we've all decided is good and the best kind.
0: <laughs> you get to choose. Um, I don't
1: know. Yeah, I I feel like it's so important on the one hand to say you never have to leave your partner because of something that like a high schooler said to you. Um, That's just like allowed. And also sometimes, you know, we have these big moments in our lives when we suddenly reassess a story that we have told or retold many, many times. Sometimes because someone from a really unlikely source saw it differently than we did. And I want to leave room for both of those readings here. Yes, Um, And just also generally, like, there is no one hard and fast rule along those lines so much as, you know, look at your own life, reflect about things, ask yourself, what would have happened if I had said no and escalated? Would I have been reprimanded? Do I think that he would have – like, as I look back on the, the guy that I knew him to be, do I think he actually would have, like, heard me out? Because if so, does that make you feel more relaxed and peaceful about your husband or do you think, I actually don't know what he would have done? And that frightens me a little. Mm-hmm. Because I could see both of those things being possible there. And I think that's one of the reasons that, like, that personal level of judgment and discernment and taking this to one or two or three people who know you well and whose judgment you trust can be invaluable after you've asked the stranger advice columnist who, you know, is a transsexual who doesn't talk to anyone he's related to. Because you know you're at least, for me, going to get a little bit of like, you could bail. You could pull the ripcord. You know, I
0: also think that, that that this is one of those really, really good contexts to talk to uh, an impartial third party. Like, this is, I think, one of the perfect things to talk to a therapist or a counselor about. Because friends who also know your husband might not want to have the burden of rocking the boat or, you know, reassuring you of something they don't feel 100% about in either direction. Um, I think... The the real question at the end of this letter is, can you help me reconcile my kind, loving husband with this upsetting behavior? And we can sit here and riff about, you know, weird memes. You are the one who has to do this reconciling. And I think that bringing it to a therapist or a counselor or, you know, some trusted third party who maybe doesn't know you or your husband, but does know relationships and does know the human psyche and the soul and the weird ways that love grows and evolves over the course of 40 years. That's the kind of person who I think can help you put these pieces back together. And what form that new piece looks like, and I mean piece P-E-A-C-E, but also I guess P-I-C-E. I (laughs) I know what you mean. Um, The the shape of that, that new piece might be everything's copacetic, nothing has changed. And it might be like, I'm blowing up my fucking life and like, you know, moving to Oregon and joining a lesbian commune. But like, you can't get there without digging into some messy stuff.
1: Yeah, I I think that's all true, thoughtful, lovely. Helen, thank you so, so much. Uh, This was both delightful and just the right amount of fun, manipulative advice, Um, but mostly just like really thoughtful and warm and engaged. Where can people find you if they come away from this and think, I would love to know uh, what she does with tomatoes?
0: Oh, well, if you'd like to know what I do with tomatoes, I think the best place to find me is on newyorker.com where you can Google my name or click on one of my little like cartoon icons on on that website. Um, or, uh, I don't know, Instagram? At Helen R. A lot of pictures of food and my dog, which is always
1: fun. It really, really is. And, and a uh, lot of
0: memes, as I said. Like, all I care about anymore
1: is... Memes, so. I have so many that I'm going to send you the second we stop oh, recording. Yes. You're going to love wait. them all. I promise. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I can also appreciate that fear because like there have certainly been times when without necessarily doing anything wrong, a woman gets targeted for being the bummer by simply telling the truth about a cool, fun guy that everyone wants to Mm -hmm. like. And so I'm also aware that that risk is real and that there may be people who will in the moment say, wow, that's awful. I'm so sorry, but that will later like him better. Um, because he's happy and fun. But you can't control that. Yeah, and like, if keeping his secret would make any of that easier, you know, that'd be one thing, but I don't think that it would. You don't owe him this. Um, you owe him very little. You, you can absolutely just like tell the bare facts without doing any name calling or, or anything else. And I think, you know, again, if you're worried that just like no one's ever going to want to be friends with him again, people want to be friends with guys who cheated on their wives all the time. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.